G'day mate, welcome to another episode of the Exponential Performance Podcast. It is so good to have you here. In this episode, we have a massive listener Q&A. We dig into how sodium bicarbonate or baking soda can improve your performance and how to actually use that. We also take a look at surviving the winter grind. How can you get through the winter in the best possible shape? so that you can take advantage of summer racing. And we also take a look at overtraining, what's actually happening within the body when you overtrain. Let's get into it. Welcome to the Exponential Performance Podcast. Join sports scientist and performance coach Matty Graham to find out how to train smarter and maximize your performance no matter who you are. Welcome, welcome, welcome. It is so good to have you here with me on this beautiful day. Now, apologies, I didn't get a podcast out last week. To be honest, I am just under the pump completely. We are in the process of building a house, uh, and we're going to be homeless within a couple of weeks. We've got to get out of the rental property we're in. So we're trying to get this house finished as fast as possible so we can get in there. So I've been working uh, mornings and nights, painting and getting stuff sorted there. So the podcast slipped off the radar last week. I started recording it on Monday and then next thing I knew it was Saturday and I was like, man, I didn't get that finished. So here we are with the podcast this week, taking a look at a whole bunch of listener Q&A that I've had over the last couple of weeks. Now, if you find this podcast useful, if you find the information generally helpful, I would greatly appreciate it if you could share it around. Whether that be on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, please help me share it around. Also, if you can't be bothered sharing, please, at very least, give it a like. Whatever platform you're on, SoundCloud, iTunes, YouTube, hit the like button, hit the thumbs up, and also leave me a comment. This just helps increases the reach of this podcast so it can be more sustainable moving forward. And if you are an absolutely amazing human being, absolutely amazing, like I'm sure you are, could you please head over to iTunes, it has to be iTunes, and leave me a rating and a quick review comment. It will take all of two minutes. So, before we get into it, let's pause things right now and head over, hit that like button, leave a comment, leave a review. It would be greatly appreciated. Costs you nothing, but it helps me out a huge amount. Okay, without further ado, let's get into this week's first listener Q&A. Here it is. Hi Matty, it's Chris from Dunedin, um, I'm a cross country mountain biker and during the off season and especially during base training, how do you best keep focus on the end game? Do you set monthly goals or just dig in for the long haul across winter? Cheers for that question Chris and it is a very good one. Often winter is such a tough time of the year for athletes. And it comes at a time that's quite inconvenient. You've sat down after your race season, 
and you've set some big goals and usually you're highly motivated to get after them after you've just set them but then life happens and winter just punches you in the face short days cold days it's all just a bit of an uphill battle so what can you do to get through this winter period i've actually written an article on this over at the exponential performance coaching blog called surviving the winter grind because the winter is just you know sometimes a bit of a grind and you do have to get through it and good summer performances are made in the winter if you are prepared to work through the winter you will see the results in the next season a lot of people go into a little bit of a hiatus over winter they hibernate a little bit which is perfectly okay but you do end up losing a lot of your gains that you worked so hard for over summer so what can you do to survive the winter grind first thing i would say is make sure you keep that eye on the prize humans are such visual animals so you've got these goals set make sure you write them down and have them right there when you can see them where you can see them on a daily basis wherever that might be because the physical act of visually seeing your goals helps spark you up kickstart you and to chase them the long-term goal is so important because that is what everything is built around however over winter i would highly recommend having little stepping stone goals along the way whether that be other small races and i know for you chris because i do work with you one-on-one is that you do have those cyclocross races throughout winter which are great little stepping stones if you don't have sort of a a fortnightly or a weekly race lined up that helps you keep the motivation high and keep that fire burning then trying to have something at the end of winter to aim for so that that urgency in your training or that needing to get things done because you've got a race coming up doesn't leave you too much and doesn't leave you you know demotivated so having some small stepping stone goals are so important but also having that long-term goal in mind because it is important even though it is so far away and that's where people often fall into the trap of uh, the goal so far away I don't have to get ready for that race I can catch up in summer but you cannot catch up on the work that you don't do in winter you it just cannot be caught up with so make sure you keep that goal in mind put in some good work over winter and just try and keep that consistency there I would highly recommend getting a training partner you know don't go at it alone there's that old saying of that a problem shared is a problem halved or in the case of winter training at least you know someone else is going to be out there with you you know freezing your ass off so to speak having some good training partners over winter i find is so critical i've trained through many a south island winters and it it just helps having someone there you know that if you don't get out of bed and go out there they're going to be out there and then they're going to give you give you a hard time later on it's almost easier to go training rather than cop the flack of your mates later but it also just helps pass the time 
And I've had some, you know, great winters on the Dunedin Harbour training early in the morning. Super hard to get out the door to start with. But once you're out there and it warms up, it's it's not too bad. And having a few key training partners got me through that. It's so much easier. So get those training partners nailed in. The other thing as a little way to help you get through the winter grind is take it indoors. Get indoors and do some interval training inside. Set up the wind trainer, take it into the gym, do some cross training, definitely do some strength training if you're not already. And just using all of these different tools helps relieve that that nagging pressure of training outside in the elements, which can be hard on the body in itself. So take it indoors. The final thing I would say is harden the f*** up. At the end of the day, you've got to get out there and do it. If you are serious about your goal, then you need to sacrifice something. And in this case, it's comfort. Get out the door and get into it. You've got to get comfortable being uncomfortable. And we've talked about this a lot in previous podcasts. But it's just something that you need to do. And rather than looking out the window and going, oh, it's raining again. It's cold again. It's snowing. Rather than looking outside and thinking, you know, those things, think about it as an opportunity to test your skills, your endurance, your strength, both physically and mentally. It's about reframing how you're thinking about the situation. You can't change the situation. The only thing you can do is change the way you think about it. Just remember, there's no such thing as bad weather. There's just poor clothing choices. It's all just weather. Whether it be rain, sun, hail, snow, wind, it's just weather. Get out there, dress appropriately for it, and you'll be fine. A little bit off topic there. I know you were coming at it from a goal angle. Key things I would say over winter. Keep your eye on the big prize. At the end of the day, that's what you're working towards. But break it down into more manageable chunks. If you can have little building races, little stepping stone races throughout the winter to help you out, definitely do that if that's not possible then i'd have something planned at the end of winter start a spring to work towards or have a couple of missions throughout winter that you're going to get a bunch of mates together go and do some hard riding or have a little bit of a social race to keep that motivation burning keep you heading in the right direction so there it is that's how to survive the winter grind i hope that's helped answer your question Chris if it hasn't feel free to send me a follow-up question otherwise let's listen to the next one hi Matt I'm wondering if you could share any information about the science of overtraining I think that I have been overtraining, working out too long, doing a lot of uh, long, slow endurance training, um, and eating too little because I'm just not hungry. Uh, So burning too many calories, not taking enough calories in, and as a result, I am gaining weight. 
Uh, and so I'm wondering if you can share some information sort of behind the science of this and uh, help me figure out how to reset and get back on track and start losing weight again. Thank you. And get back on track and start losing weight again. Thank you. Thanks so much for that question. The first thing I would say is that if you think you're overtraining, you probably are. And to be in a state of doing a lot of training or a lot of exercise, knowing that you're in an energy deficit, and if you're still gaining weight, then you're in a quite a sticky situation in that your body is definitely in survival mode and you are in a state of overtraining well and truly. So what is this what's some of the science behind this? Well first of all overtraining believe it or not is quite hard to to research to study in terms of a scientific approach because the nature of overtraining means that it is a a long-term thing. It has to happen for quite a long period of time. And then just the ethical considerations around overtraining, is it actually ethical to take participants and induce a state of overtraining? And usually the amount of training that's required for overtraining is, is a lot. So it's quite hard to study. We talked about overtraining in episode four of the Exponential Performance Podcast. And this was more of just a general what does overtraining look like discussion. So what I'll do is I'll dig into a little bit more of a science behind overtraining in this episode. But if you didn't catch episode four, I'll post a link to it in the show notes over at exponentialperformancecoaching.com underneath episode 17 of the podcast and you can head back and have a listen to episode 4 where we dig into that in a bit more detail. So overtraining, what's actually happening? There are three sort of stages of overtraining, okay? The first stage of overtraining is often called functional overtraining. And it's the the early onset and the signs and the symptoms of overtraining are often quite minimal here. And often this is just a general training state. Often around heavy training loads where you're pushing hard and as long as there's a plan to push yourself into this overtraining stage one or overreaching, as it's often called as well, and then to recover, stage one or functional overtraining is not a bad thing. As the name suggests, functional overtraining means it has a function, it has a purpose, and it is not necessarily a negative thing if it's controlled. It's just the training process. You should go through times of heavier training followed by times of lighter training and recovery to allow you to bounce back and to recover from the functional overreaching or overtraining. Stage two of overtraining is often called the sympathetic overtraining 
And during this stage, we start to see some imbalances in our in our nervous system and also in our hormones. And this is where we start to see in the body if we're measuring morning heart rate or heart rate variability, an increase in resting heart rate or a decrease in heart rate variability, which heart rate variability is the time between heartbeats. A varied time between heartbeats indicates a well-rested athlete, and a very consistent time between heartbeats actually indicates fatigue. So stage three is what is termed parasympathetic overtraining, and this is a serious end stage of overtraining, and as we talked about in previous podcasts, this is where you won't see an increase in morning heart rate, you'll actually see a decrease, and this is because Neurologically and hormonally, the body is exhausted. And it is very typical with large amounts of physical training, but also chemical and also mental injuries. So it's not strictly induced only through training. You can also get it if you have a big accident or you've been exposed to chemicals or you've got a a large uh, psychological issue as well, and the body's going to respond to that. So this end state is where you need to be really worried, and hopefully you've caught it well before then, but it is also the part of overtraining that's the hardest to research, because ethically you can't really push people through to that end point, because one, it's kind of dangerous, and two, it's just ethically not not right. So what's actually happening as you progress through these stages of overtraining? The biggest thing that is happening is you're getting a change in your nervous system activation and also your hormone balance. You will be getting a decrease in your anabolic hormones. And so anabolic just means building up. And these are the ones that are key for recovery. Testosterone in both males and females. Females have testosterone just like males do. Males just have more testosterone. And really athletic females have more testosterone than non-athletic females. And you can see it in body types. But females who are really good at sport, world champions, would have an abnormally large amount of testosterone in their system versus your you know your average population female and that's why they're so good at sport the same with male population males on a on a world stage tend to have higher testosterone levels than your average run-of-the-mill male on the street and that's why they're more athletic because their body can recover faster it can it can produce more muscle more blood makes them a better athlete So this imbalance between these anabolic hormones and the catabolic hormones. And catabolic is simply uh, the breaking down hormones or the stress hormones. So when we start to really push our body in training and we're not giving it enough time to recover from the hard training effort, our body falls back on a little bit of a survival mechanism. It wants to eliminate anything that's unnecessary, 
anything that's unnecessary for its immediate survival. And often in females, this will come about with the menstrual cycle stopping. And it is simply that the body is sending a signal or shutting down all non-essential survival mechanisms that it doesn't need. So why would the female body be prepared to support another life in the term of a fetus when it can't even support itself? So that's a really good indication. And I know a lot of female, especially endurance athletes, it's almost like a rite of passage that you're not training hard enough until your menstrual cycle stops. So it's really important that you're matching your training, your recovery, and your nutrition to maintain a stable menstrual cycle when you're training hard because it is the first it's one of the first signs that things are starting to head south in terms of overtraining. If you can imagine that you're getting all of this muscle breakdown as you train, and if you're not giving your body the fuel that it needs or the building blocks that it needs in terms of protein, carbohydrate and fat to actually repair that muscle, you're going to be losing muscle mass because you break it down during the training. And I'm not exactly sure what type of training you are doing, but any type of training is going to start breaking down that muscle mass. And if you don't put in the right fuel, the right building blocks afterwards, then you're not going to be able to build that muscle mass back. And so what happens, you start to lose muscle mass. And if you're in a starvation state, and that you're not getting enough energy in, then when you do have any excess energy, it may not be on that specific day, but it may be in the following day or the following week, the body's going to want to hold on to that and store it for later. And it won't store it as muscle. It will store it as fat. Because fat is a highly concentrated source of energy that the body can then draw upon later in times of starvation or times of survival. And again, it's falling back into that primitive survival mechanism. So what you're actually doing is you're making yourself worse off with all of this training that you're doing. The key thing we need to be looking at is training hard, fueling right, and then recovering And if we do that, we're going to get the desired results, whatever that might be, whether it be improving our endurance, improving our muscle mass, or some sort of fat loss or body composition goal. The way you're going at the moment, it sounds like it's the complete opposite to what you want to achieve, and I'm not too sure of your exact goals. So as a bit of a brief overview, what's actually happening in the body when we're overtraining the key thing that we need to go with, that we need to know is that we're getting a large imbalance in our hormones and also in our central nervous system. And when these things get out of balance, it has the opposite effect of kind of what we're after. It's a bit of a downward spiral. And there's people that can get really sick because they're training hard, they're not fueling, and they're not recovering. And this will drive testosterone levels down, it'll drive cortisol levels up, and it just puts the body in a constant state of struggling to survive, let alone perform 
or be healthy as a baseline. So I'm not sure if that's actually answered your question very well. Um, If you could submit another voice question or send me an email and be a little bit more specific about exactly what you want to know, I can definitely uh, expand on this more. But the key thing is it sounds like you're not in a great place with your training and your performance. So definitely looks like things need to change a little bit on that. So let's have a listen to the next question. Hi, Marty. Uh, Thank you very much for all your great videos and and podcasts. I really love your pragmatic advice and uh, uh, view on training. I really feel like I've learned a lot over the years. Just downloaded RideStrong. Really looking forward to that, trying to use it to learn something, to get my kind of high-end back up, which I feel like has plateaued a bit while my endurance has gone way up. Thanks for the supplement review you did in the last podcast. Really, really interesting. I think I am actually. I've tried a few of those things with mixed results. Some good. I think I might try the beta alanine thing. It looks exactly maybe fits to where I want to go. Maybe if it works. <laughs> the one I'm really interested in that I don't get is the sodium bicarb thing. Um, I don't really understand how you could really consume enough for it to make a difference, or how physiologically it could really work. Um, I remember an interview with Chris Hoy uh, a year or so ago when he said he tried this in the past and just really messed with his stomach. Um, it'd be really interesting to hear from you about uh, how and when and, and, and why that could really work. All right, thanks. Uh, looking forward to listening to the next podcast. Cheers. Bye. First of all, Richard, thank you very much for your question. Um, and secondly, I hope the Ride Strong Strength Training Program for Cyclists is going well for you. If you haven't done any strength training in the past, this will definitely give you good results relatively quickly. I also hope you're enjoying the Performance Temple Handbook series that you received for free for sending in this voice question. Just remember, if there's anyone out there with a question they want to ask, if you send in a voice question, I will send you a free copy of the Performance Temple ebook series just for answering that question is a thank you so sodium bicarbonate the how what why and the when of it well sodium bicarbonate is a really interesting one and i want to preface this with a little bit of physiology so that we get an understanding of why this works first of all because it's quite an interesting one first of all what is sodium bicarbonate well simply it is baking soda baking soda that is all it is And it has been shown to improve performance quite effectively, especially in sports of about one to seven minutes long, but also in longer events that have repeated bouts of sprinting in it. So that's your classic team sport example. But also if you are a cyclist, who is doing crit racing, who's doing multiple accelerations, multiple sprints in, in that time, and also potentially for cyclocross athletes who are on the hammer for that for that full sort of hour for most cyclocross races, but have got multiple short bursts in there as well. I wouldn't suggest this for long endurance races. One, because the evidence showing that it works isn't there, but then also with the GI issues with 
this type of um, supplementation, there is a high risk of GI problems. And also, as endurance exercise gets longer and longer, the risk of GI upsets just on its own increases as well. So it's a dangerous combination when you add a supplement that's kind of a high-risk GI problem supplement with a, a sport that's got high-risk GI problems anyway. So a little bit of physiology to start with. So in the body, when you start to use anaerobic energy, that's energy produced without oxygen, when we start to use that anaerobic glycolytic pathway, what happens is most people will be aware that lactic acid is produced. Now what happens is lactic acid doesn't actually hang around in the muscle for that long. It gets out of the muscle, which is a good thing because that muscle doesn't want to build up of it in there, and it dumps it into the blood. Okay, so when the lactic acid leaves the muscle, it enters the blood, it dissociates into lactate, and then also into a hydrogen ion. And hydrogen ions make the blood acidic, which decreases the pH of the blood. The body doesn't like having acidic blood, and it and it has a very effective way of managing it, both the short term and the long term. And what it'll do is there is a buffering system within the blood, and it's the bicarbonate buffering system. And what it does using bicarbonate it buffers the lactate and it returns that pH to normal and what happens is a a bunch of chemical processes long story short you breathe it out as carbon dioxide so the reason why sodium bicarbonate loading works is that your body just has more bicarbonate floating around in the bloodstream for this chemical process to happen to buffer those hydrogen ions. You have a more alkaline or more base available to buffer the acid. Okay, It's it's pretty much simple chemistry. But with everything in the human body, it's not quite as straightforward as that. Interesting enough, in horse racing, using sodium bicarbonate or soda loading as it's often referred to in horse racing is illegal you're not allowed to use this in horse racing because it's so effective you can feed it a lot of it to horses and they don't complain as much as humans that's why it's probably better to work with race horses aside from getting paid more i bet as well but they don't complain and they will run themselves to death as well just by pushing themselves so physically hard so sodium bicarbonate loading is not allowed in horse racing in human racing it's free open game so we get into it so one of your questions was you don't actually see how it is physically possible to get enough for it to be effective well the effective dose seems to be around 300 milligrams per kg of body weight 300 milligrams per kg of body weight. Well, that's 0.3 grams per kg. So it's dependent on the person. The bigger you are, the more you need. Just on the preface that you've got more blood and you need more bicarbonate buffering. So what does that look like in real life? For a 70 kg athlete, that looks like 21 grams of sodium bicarbonate. Or... If you go to your pantry right now and pull out your baking soda, you'll probably see written at the top, it's bicarbonate of soda. Baking soda, bicarbonate of soda, 
it's all the same. So if you were to take a teaspoon and take out of that container of baking soda five teaspoons and mix it with water, you want a roughly about seven mils of water per kg of body weight. So for a a 70 kg athlete, that works out at about uh, 490 mils, about half a litre. Mix that five teaspoons of baking soda in with that water. That's how much you need to consume. And it is quite a lot, and it does taste quite disgusting if you've ever tried it. One way you can get around this is using little sachets that contain sodium bicarbonate and sodium citrate used to treat urinary tract infections. And most of you have probably seen these around. Uh, In New Zealand, I guess they're called uh, Ural is the brand name, but I'm sure there are lots of other ones around the world. These sachets contain a large amount of sodium bicarbonate and a a large amount of sodium citrate, which has also been shown to improve performance. So if we can combine the sodium bicarbonate and the sodium citrate in these little sachets, mix them with water, it makes it a little bit easier to, to consume. So if we're thinking back to our 70kg athlete, they would need to consume approximately 9 sachets of ural or the other equivalent um, urinary tract infection uh, medication. So again, it's quite a lot and it is hard to drink. If you consume over this amount, so over that 300 milligrams per kg of weight there is no additive effect so if you consume more than 300 milligrams per kg of body weight it doesn't make you any better and there's some research out there to suggest that females should consume about uh, 250 milligrams per kg of body weight if you go over this it doesn't make you any better you just run the risk of getting some more severe GI issues. So what does the timing look like for this? Well, your bicarbonate levels in your blood are going to peak after about 60 minutes of ingestion. So that's when it's going to be at the highest. And then there's some sort of a plateau around about 90 minutes. Okay, So it starts to, to level out. So with this in mind, there are some different loading protocols to follow. Some suggest just consuming it about 40 to 60 minutes before exercise. So you start the the race or whatever you're doing with those peak levels in your blood. But this consuming a lot of it at once can lead to higher GI problems. So the recommendation would be to consume or sip that 500 mils of water with your however many grams of Um, sodium bicarbonate in there 21 grams for the 70 kg athlete over about 10 minutes so just gently sipping it and do that about an hour before your race the other loading protocol that has been found to be quite effective is to do it over a three hour period so over that three hours before your event you would separate your required dosage into five different dosages and have them at 30 minute intervals and have them at 30 minute intervals so every 30 minutes you'd consume 
part of that dose. The idea behind this is that they've found that this loading protocol gives you less GI problems because of the slower intake. And the reason sodium bicarbonate gives you GI issues is that the sodium bicarbonate in your gut sucks or draws in water into the intestines to dilute it. Because of that water's coming into the intestine, it waters everything down. It can cause bloating, can cause stomach cramps, and usually they all lead to diarrhea at the end of the day. So that's something you need to be aware of. Sodium bicarbonate, as the name suggests, also has a large amount of sodium or salt as it as part of it. So if you're consuming large amounts of sodium bicarbonate, you're also consuming large amount, large amount of salt, which if you have high blood pressure is not a good thing. And also if you've got issues with your kidney function is also not a good thing. So just be aware of that. If you have got problems with your kidney function, then you want to do sodium bicarbonate loading under medical supervision because the body is going to handle that increase in sodium slightly differently so that's a little bit of the science behind it does it actually work have you ever tried sodium bicarbonate loading post a a comment below and let me know if you have you mentioned chris hoy he tried it he got gi problems the key thing with this is to try it yourself what i would recommend is that you do a trial run with half of the of the recommended dosage for you. So work out how much you need to be taking for your body mass and then half it. Consume half of it, see how you go. It can give you stomach issues, so definitely try this beforehand. I remember working with um, some elite cyclists when I was working for Cycling New Zealand with a track program. And one of the riders said that she knew that she was into a, you know, she was ready for a good performance when she was sitting on the start line and she felt like she was going to, excuse my English, but her pants. Okay, so that was a signal to her that she was ready to roll and she knew that she was going to have a race, a good race, if she felt like that. She knew that everything had come together. The sodium bicarbonate was doing its thing. It was holding off. And she was ready to rumble. After the race, I can't imagine that the toilet was too pretty after that. But it does gets the job done if you can time it correctly. So definitely have a play around with it for you. How your stomach handles it. If you handle half the dosage alright, ramp it up to three quarters of the dosage. If three quarters works alright, ramp it up to the full dosage. If you find the full dosage doesn't work for you, then scale it back again. So have a play around, that's the key thing, is to make sure you personalize it for you, see what works, and the the bottom line is, is that you're not going to know what works until you try it. So get stuck into that. You mentioned you were going to use beta alanine, and there is some research out there that beta alanine and sodium bicarbonate can complement each other quite well, because sodium bicarbonate works extracellularly, which means it works in the blood, whereas beta alanine works intracellularly, which inside the muscle cells. And again, 
beta alanine and sodium bicarbonate work not in a similar way, but I'm going to say in a similar way because beta alanine is all about the regulation of that pH inside the muscle and also a little bit of stuff about sodium regulation and also some enzyme um, activation and stuff like that. But using these two together, you can get the best of both worlds. If you are performing one of those really aerobic, anaerobic sports, I like to call them, that are about one to seven minutes long, or you're doing a longer event, team sports or repeated sprint races that have got lots of repeated high-intensity bouts in them. So there you go, Richard. I hope that answers your question. If it just raises more questions for anybody out there, feel free to hit me up and let me know what they are so that I can help give you the good information so you can train hard, but most importantly, train smart. Remember, if you've got any questions, head over to the Exponential Performance Coaching website under the podcast tab, send me in a voice message, and I'll do my best to answer it and get it up on the podcast. I get lots of emails from people answering questions, and I redirect them to that voice message link, and those that send me through a voice message, I get on top of and answer as much as I can. Unfortunately, I don't have enough time to answer all of the email questions, so I'm preferring to answer the voice questions, because it gives you podcast listeners a little bit of a better experience. Remember, you also get a free copy of the Exponential Performance Handbook series every time you answer a question. So get in there, ask that question, let me know. So there you have it, sodium bicarbonate supplementation, done. Alrighty team, that is a wrap for this week. I hope you have found this useful. Thanks for those listeners who have sent in questions. I want to keep shaping this podcast so that you get the content that you find useful, interesting and helpful so you can keep working towards your goals, whatever they may be. So until next week... Get out there and train hard, but most importantly, train smart.